We're going to move really fast today, and we're going to be in a lot of places, but we're so privileged to be a part of doing something that several churches are doing today here in the area. We have partnered with Good News and also Hope Community up in Wildwood, and we'll all be doing this series together as we walk through. And as I've been preparing um, over the past several weeks, this is life-changing. And I hope today maybe we'll grasp, I'm going to do my best to try to bring things to a place that you understand the significance of what it is to know God and to seek after Him. But I promise you that over the next seven to eight weeks as we're together, it has the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and radically adjust your life. I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care when you were baptized. I don't care what denomination you may have come from. I'm just telling you that what we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks, seven or eight weeks, has the ability to totally rearrange your life because what you think affects how you live. And some of us, have a wrong perception of who God is. So we're going to be talking about that. I want to, I want to start out with a, with a statement that a man by the name of A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor and a theologian and writer, said, and this is a statement that he made. He said this, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Would you just to sort of sit on that for a second. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he also said this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. In other words, what he's saying is this, is perception, it's everything. Perception is everything. How you view yourself, how you pray, how you relate to other people, how you perceive the future, every relationship, every decision will be rooted in how you view God or how you perceive God to be. The only problem with that is this, we're human, and humanity's view of God is distorted. And you know why? Because of our sinfulness, because of our sinful nature, which leaves us struggling to be able to discover many times who the real God is. Because how many of your views of God comes from somebody else? A book that you've read, a movie that you've seen, a conversation that you've had, some media, some teachings that maybe you've been exposed to. And all of those things formulate our view of God, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Some of you here, maybe you've never ever put any effort into getting to know God. Your relationship with God has become as a result of your parents or come as a result of somebody else, or you've just tended to go along with the crowd. But again, I want to tell you this, perception is everything. And listen to this statement. What we think about God shapes our relationships with him along the same line. What we believe God thinks about us determines how close we will grow towards him. Let me see if I can put it to you in this way. What you believe about those people around you affects how you interact with them. What you think about them, what they think about you, affects how close you'll get to them. Have you ever misread somebody? Have you ever misread or misunderstood somebody else's intentions? Those misreadings affect your relationship with them. Have you ever misjudged somebody? Man, I I just totally misjudged them. Have you ever not gotten to know somebody because you thought that something bad about them or you thought that they thought a certain way about you only to realize later down the line that it wasn't true? What do you think about God? What do you believe that God thinks about you? These are very, very important thoughts that impact our relationship with him. Let's go back. Let's talk about my relationship with the Lord growing up. I came to know the Lord, was raised in a Christian home early on when I was six years old or so. I made a decision for the Lord when I was at a a children's camp, and I gave my life to the Lord at that time, 
Because everybody else was doing it, so I sort of thought it was the thing that you were supposed to do. Some of you maybe can identify with that. Man, I didn't want to miss out. Plus, as I've told you before, they were talking an awful lot about hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. So the alternative was, hey, man, if it's accepting Jesus, I'll accept Jesus. I want, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to burn in hell. So I made a decision for the Lord. That was my perception. Man, listen, if I did a little bit more than good, uh, a, more, a little bit more good than bad, then maybe God would let me into his kingdom. And I remember wrestling with that through the early years of my life and then around 14 or 15 really becoming convicted and asking myself, do I really know the Lord? What happens if I don't really know the Lord and I don't go to heaven? So I began to, to really begin to, to study and to read the word. And I was baptized again because I didn't want to miss out. I was raised in a home where, listen, work was really important, where the value of work was very important. I was raised in a church where, listen, doing the right thing was important. There was a lot of times that we did the right things on the outside when the inside was doing something totally different. How many of us go to church today with the same thoughts? If I can just do these things over here, then I'll be accepted. And maybe also God will accept me. Maybe if I do these things on the outside, maybe God will love me on the inside. Because what they don't see is there's an awful lot of stuff going on the inside. Even on the outside, I'm performing. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that maybe those thoughts could lead to a false assumption of who God is and what God thinks about me? Yeah. An awful lot. It's just so easy for our view of God to be distorted and it not represent the real God and who he is and what he feels about us. So it's appropriate for us just to sort of maybe hit the pause button for a little bit and to ask ourselves this question. Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? See, if I were to ask you some questions and I were to sort of maybe call out some people today, maybe say Chip or, you know, Raj or, you know, Teresa, and I just start calling out some names and say, listen, I want you guys to explain to me who God is. It might be difficult for some of you to give me an answer. I mean, you can tell me again what you've heard or what you think, but not necessarily what you've come to know personally. And I'm not talking about what everybody else has to say, but what I'm saying is what how you know God personally. Not the God that's being passed around by different organizations or religious groups, but the real God, the God of the Bible. Because I want, you to, I want us to be able to see him clearly. So how do we do that? A couple of mistakes that we often make because there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. See, you can go on the internet and you can pull up some names. And listen, on the internet, it'll tell you some information about them. You can pull up their Facebook account or you can pull up Instagram and you can look and you can get to know some information about them. Whether it's a dignitary, a movie star, a famous person, or even just a normal person, there's a good chance. If you search the internet, you're going to find some information about them. But it doesn't mean that you have a connection to them just because you know some information about them. One of my favorite stories is a good friend of mine who's gone on to be with the Lord. I got to know him later on in his life after he had come to know Christ. And we were in an environment one night, and I'll always remember this and I'll never forget it. I'd walked into this environment where there were 40 or 50 people. This gentleman was sitting in the far corner. He was having a conversation with some people. And when I walked in the door, some people cornered me and we began to have a conversation. And I'll always remember what he said. By the way, by this time, he was blind. He couldn't see. And he said this. Sid, I know you're in the room. I hear your voice. I can't see you. But I know you're here. Will you come see me? Will you come see me? Let me just say this. When you come to know the Lord, even though you can't see him, you know his voice. Are you with me? 
If you wonder why you wrestle to hear the Lord, sometimes people say, well, I, man, the Lord told me this. Man, that's a lie. He ain't told you that. That's not something the Lord would tell you. So nowhere do we find that type of conversation in the book. But anyway, here's a couple of mistakes that we might make when we, when we think about God. Think about these just for a second. Number one, God is not like you. Have you ever tried to take the best of what you know and make that God? How many times do we try to take the best of what we can comprehend, the best that we can imagine from our earthly perspective, and then we magnify it, we build it up, and somehow we think that's what God is like? There are the things that are in the created category, which is the angels and the universe and the world and everything in it, including man. And then there's another category, and that's God. That's God. That's, that's the concept of the word holy. It means God is separate. He is alone. He is set apart. God isn't like us. Yet how many times do we want to manage God and make him like us so that we can control him? This is what the prophet Isaiah had to say. This is what he said. This isn't a new problem. Listen to what the prophet said. He said, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? Who brings them out like an army? One after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and comparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your trouble? Oh, Israel, how can you not say God ignores your rights? Have you not heard? Have you not understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the earth, and he grows, never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Even though there are things that we were created in his image and there are some likenesses, there are areas where we are different. And we cannot reduce God to who we want him to be. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, this is what the Apostle Paul had to say in reference to the sovereignty, the power of God, and man's responsibility. He said this in chapter 11, verse 33 through 35, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom of knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. It's impossible for us to be able to figure it out. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. What, what does Paul say? What, what comes from God? What is it that comes from God? Everything. Everything comes from him. Everything. Everything exists because of his power and for his glory. But left to ourselves, you know what we do? We tend to want to reduce God to a manageable term. We want to see God. We want to be able to control God. We want to manipulate God so that things work out in our favor. But that's not the God of the Bible, is it? That's not. And even today, we'll take something that we make with our own hands and we create with our own minds and we bow down to it. Listen to what the, Paul, what, listen to what the Apostle Paul also said in Romans chapter 1. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. As they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. Prophet Isaiah would say, you worship gods that you've made with your, you made yourselves. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have feet, but they can't walk. And he was contrasting them to God himself. Yet how easy is this for us to be able to do? For goodness sake, take the Israelites. <laughs> if you've been walking through the gospel project, I mean, Troy, the stories that we've seen of the great things that God has done of taking his people and leading them through after the death of Joseph. And here they are in Egypt and becoming up under the, the bondage of slavery uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and how God would raise up Moses, a man, and he would use Moses to lead them out of, of Egypt and deliver his people. 
how God brought the plagues and everything that they saw. And here they all wandering around in the desert and how God provides for them and how he protects them and how he demonstrates his faithfulness over and over again. And he brings them to a mountain. Moses goes up and they hear the interaction and all the things that took place. The thundering, the lightning, the shaking of the, of the ground. And while Moses is up on the mountain and here is God interacting with him to give him a list of commandments of how to interact with God as well as interact with one another, what was it that the people did? They took the gold that they had taken from Egypt. And you remember what they did? They built a golden calf, for goodness sakes. They didn't want to wait on Moses to come down. They turned around and they built something with their own hands and they began to worship. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 6, it says the people got up early the next morning. Here's Moses. He's interacting with God. He's not come down the mountain yet. And he says early in the morning he got up to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking. They indulged in pagan revelry. They've seen God. They've experienced God, and yet they forgot God. How is that? They'd witnessed the miracles. They'd witnessed the smoke and the thunder and the lightning, the shaking of the earth and, and hearing God's voice, and yet they turned around and they did something that didn't make any sense. Why would they do that? But how many times have we done the same thing? We've seen, we've witnessed, we experienced. They created gods and they worshiped them in total disregard of the real God. But how often we do the same thing? Talk about those of us in the room. I mean, let's not talk about the pagans. Let's talk about those of us in the room that call ourselves Christ followers. I mean, what are some of the idols that, we may, that may impact us following and coming to know the Lord? What about the idol of happiness and self-fulfillment? Self I mean, here we are willing to trust God. We receive an invitation to follow him. We want to grow into his likeness, to live in his kingdom under his domain, his power, his rule as his citizens. We desire to follow his teachings and to live under the power of the Holy Spirit and to take the message to the rest of the world that Jesus is alive. And we're committed to that mission. But how many times, somewhere along the line, do we come to a place of not seeing ourselves as a disciple of Jesus Christ and carrying out the mission, but we see Jesus as some type of a self-help genie? How many of us think that, you know, if I, if I just read my Bible, if I pray, if I participate in some religious things, if I go to church, every time the door is open, man, I'm going to get some bonus points and God is going to be happy with me. Plus, if I do all those things, listen, my spouse won't be angry with me. My kids will grow up to be successful um, citizens. They'll love me. They won't get in any trouble. I won't face any difficulties or sickness or, or health issues. Listen, God will bless me because God wants me to be happy. And if I'm doing what God wants me to do, the bills will get paid. I'll get that new position down at work because God loves me and he wants me to be happy. It's that conversation around the table at Chick-fil-A. Years ago, with a man that had left his wife. And he was justifying to me the reasons of why he had left his wife. And the words came out, God just wants me to be happy. I thought I was going to slap him. I said, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard come out of your mouth. Where'd you pick that up from? God wants you to be happy? No, God wants you to be obedient. You need to hear this and listen. You can live a righteous life. You can seek to please the Lord in everything, spending time in the Word, being generous with your resources, praying for missions, but not only praying for missions, going on missions, volunteering to serve, and still face tragedy and disappointment. I have seen faithful people that love Jesus with all of their heart walk through times of suffering and difficulty. 
Yet how many times, how many times do we claim promises that are not in the scripture? You want a promise to claim? Let me give you one. Paul said, listen, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 12, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi and he says, for I have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Scott Wyatt and I had the privilege the other day of going to see a movie and and unless you have an affinity for India, it really doesn't mean that much to you unless you understand or know the story behind the, the movie that was made, the least of these. But it was a story about um, Graham Starnes and his family coming from Australia to India to be missionaries to the tribal people. And while he was there, they were there for a period of time, they came to minister to the lepers, but it also opened up doors for them to be able to share Jesus and to love. Things didn't go too well. As a matter of fact, in 1999, January of 1999, Graham Starnes and his two boys, 10 and 6, were burned to death. Because God was displeased with them? Because God was angry with them? Because they didn't do enough? It's the same place that Jack and I had the privilege to go last year. That whole territory, that whole area where the, the persecution is very difficult for, for pastors and people that are believers or followers of Jesus. You want to talk about a humbling experience? Stand before 60 pastors who've given their lives, who've experienced persecution because of their faith. Man, we think persecution is having to go to the children's bathroom on a Sunday morning. We think persecution or suffering is because the air conditioner goes out one Sunday. We may think persecution or suffering is because we've got to fill up the baptismal pool a different way. You don't know the heart of God. But how many of those pastors had experienced persecution because of their faith in, in Jesus? But I will tell you this about suffering. It's in those places of suffering that you come to know the intimacy with God that some of you in this room desire to have. There's another idol. Let's just call it the salad bar approach to Christianity. I think that's pretty, that's pretty simplistic. In other words, I hear what God says, but I'm going to pick and choose what I want. I'll take a little bit over here, I'll take a little bit over there, and I'm just going to put them together. And that's going, to be my, that's going to be my God. God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. I'm going to discard this over here because I don't really want to do that. That doesn't really apply to me. Students, I mean, think about this. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. And you would say, but you don't know my mom and dad. You don't know the circumstances that I was raised. You don't know the situations that I may deal with. Or you may say, what about the one about murder? But, but God, that doesn't really have to do with abortion. That only deals with, with after after you're born. Or what about the one about lying? Oh, it was just a little white lie. It's not any, any bad. It's not going to hurt anybody. Or what about living together while you're married or before you're married? Oh, listen, everybody's doing it. It's just a cultural thing. Jesus, what you had to say about sexuality, I'm just going to move that over to the side over here. It's not that big a deal. I'm going to pick and choose what I want. And instead of taking the Bible and seeing it for God's word and as an authority and the playbook that he's given us to live, we just pick and choose that fits our specific situations. And if I know you, you've probably done that. I have. I have to ask the Lord for forgiveness for that. But that's a challenge. We reduce the Word of God to nothing more than a book, a novel, forgetting that the inspiration and the truth behind God's Word is a God who loves us and desires what's best for us. Because when we're left to our own devices and choosing between what's wrong and what's not wrong, we have a new God on the throne. It's not the real God. You know who it is? It's self. The problem with that is our distorted view. The center of the scripture isn't to do what feels right, but at the center of the scripture is a story of a God of the universe who loves us and went to every extent to rescue us from the slavery of sin and death. 
When serving God and seeking to follow him, the product is a level of contentment and joy regardless of the circumstances that we may find ourselves. I was in a conversation with somebody just a couple of weeks ago, and they said, Sid, you know, I'm in a place in my life I shouldn't be having to deal with this stuff. I shouldn't have to fool with all this mess. And here I am having a pity pottery. I'm whining. I'm bellyaching. I'm angry. I'm mad. And then all of a sudden, the Lord brought somebody into my life that all of a sudden I began to think how bad they had it. And instead of whining, instead of bellyaching, I started thanking Jesus for how good I had it. All of a sudden, he, I, all of a sudden my, my attitude began to change and I recognized that God had been so faithful because things could be so much worse. And this person said, it's amazing how my attitude changed quickly. You know, last night we're, we're on the way back from Valdosta bringing Abby and uh, I had some guy decide he was just going to take us out going down the highway at 75 miles an hour. Meredith said I wasn't too Christian-like. When he came to the window, I told him, I think you need to go back to your car and sit for a while. And as I was sitting there with my Bible up on the dash, I began to thank God because of what could have happened. And I said over and over, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because it could have been over so quickly last night. An idol, whatever it may bring, an idol, whatever it may be, will never bring satisfaction and fulfillment. Only God does. God can only be known as he reveals himself to us. Here's a couple of ways God reveals himself through nature. Through nature, through general revelation. Refers to God revealing himself. I mean, here's God revealing himself in creation, uh, in, in the world, in the universe. This is what the psalmist had to say in Psalms 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies, man, they display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Creation reveals that God exists because if it didn't, then how did it come into existence? Some of the, my best conversations with my kids about, about God happens out on the trampoline, sitting up under the night skies, looking up at the, scar, up at the stars. Just talking to them about the, about the power and the majesty of God. To imagine that God knows every one of those stars by name. That's incredible. I'll always remember one of my favorite trips that Meredith and I ever took. I had the privilege of doing some thing up in Calvary, doing some teaching. It would have been the summer of 2000 when she was pregnant with Abby. And so Meredith would have been about four months, five months pregnant at that time. And so we had flown into Calgary and we were stationed there. And we decided that after we were done, we were going to take an extended vacation. Probably would never go back out in that area again and have that opportunity with, with kids on the way. And so we took a, about a week and a half, and we went from Calgary down into Glacier National Park and back up into Johnston Canyons and back over to Yoho and Kootenay and, and Banff and Jasper. And I'll always remember when we were going over, um, driving across that, going, going to the Sun Road in Glacier from, from uh, Canada into the United States. And I'll always remember... Um, turning on the praise and worship music, talking about majesty, glory, power, driving across that road. And I mean just Meredith and I just singing and praising the Lord for his beauty and his greatness. God demonstrates and he shows us his greatness in his creation, he reveals himself, his creativity, his majesty, his power in creation. And in those moments, let me tell you what, in those moments, God seems a whole lot bigger and I seem a whole lot smaller. When I'm basking in the greatness of God, it's amazing how quickly some of the other things that seem to weigh me down seem to diminish and go away when I'm sitting in my daddy's presence. 
In Romans chapter 1, Paul says they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing him. What kind of God creates a bird that lays an egg, flies thousands of miles away, only to come back and lay an egg in the same place? What kind of God creates, you know, 600 different types of beetles? I mean, look in this room at all the differences that God's created. Some of you pretty funny looking. But yet God is a God of beauty and power and love design. He's much bigger than the help me, bless me, provide for me, protect me. Prayers that we so often pray. You know, when we begin to recognize who God is and how powerful and majestic that he is, it has a way of changing our prayers. Yet how many times are our prayers centered around, God, will you do this for me? Will you take care of this for me? Paul, as he was ending up in some of his writings to the churches at Philippi and Colossae and Ephesus, I took some some segments of prayers and listen listen to some of these prayers put together, but they're words of Paul as he was writing. And listen to what he said. Man, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you might grasp the height and the depth and the length and the breadth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I pray that God would give you insight into his will, that you would discern good from evil in order that you might walk in a manner worthy of him. I pray that you would understand the depths of his love for you. How precious of an inheritance you are with him and the power that dwells within you. I pray that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul prayed for those that he was writing because he believed that if they could see God, the real God, for who he is, it would not only realign their lives, but it would give them strength and courage and boldness to be able to submit themselves to them and to live under his authority. So we see God in creation. We also see see him through his word. Creation stirs the heart for us to know more about God, but God also gives us specific revelation or special revelation through his word. I mean, how many times is God's character revealed in the stories that we find within scripture? I mean, he spoke, he interacted with people through dreams and visions and fires and plagues and even that burning bush. And how many times do we see in the word that God wants to interact with us? The scripture teaches us in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was with God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created in his life, brought light to everyone. The book of Hebrews in reference to Jesus, not long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these days, he has spoken to us through his son. Then we see Jesus as the exact image of the Father. So not only through creation, not only through nature, not only through the word do we see and do we, do we hear about the characteristics of God, but here, now we see it in Jesus. The perfect example, the exact image of the Father. Colossians chapter 2 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. You want a picture of God? Look at Jesus. You want a picture of God in human form? Here he is. And God not only reveals himself in in nature and word, but, but in the Son. John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the only begotten Father, full of grace and in truth. And in verse 18 there in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. And circle that word there. He has revealed God to us. Exegete. That word there means, it means to declare or to give a narrative or to unfold. And that's what Jesus does. Listen, he unfolds the greatness of who God is through his life and through his interaction with the, with the Father. But our view as humans is distorted. But not only has God revealed himself through nature, through the word, and through his son, 
But that's what Jesus is. He explained the Father. But the question is this. What is it that I need to do? I mean, you're here. What is it that I need to do to discover the real God? And it's simple. Seek after him. I didn't say come to church every Sunday, check it off the list. That's not what I said. Seek after him. Seek after him. The prophet Jeremiah goes on to say this in Jeremiah 29. He said, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. In Proverbs chapter 8, we see the words, those who search will surely find me. The prerequisite for coming to know God isn't a seminary degree, people. It's not the fact that you've, you've won that, that game, the Bible trivia competition. It's not because you, you score a certain number on a test, but we find it in the Gospel of Matthew. Look at, Jesus himself says this in Matthew chapter 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. But knowing God takes faith, focus, and follow through. Let me finish up here. Proverbs chapter 2. Take your Bibles really quickly. Proverbs chapter 2. So how do we seek after God? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read these to you. This is great. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Right out on the side over there, initiative in God's word. You want to know the Father? Spend some time in the word. Spend some time in the word. How many of us have a regular devotional time where we are seeking to know God, not to check something off the list so that we can tell somebody? Troy and I were in a conversation the other day about memorizing Scripture. Troy calls me and he says, Sid, i got to memorize Scripture. I'm tired of you calling me and asking me about that memory verse and I don't know it. And he was working. Man, it's so important that we hide God's Word in my heart so that we don't sin against Him. But the bigger picture is that we're able to see God and to know him. Look at what he goes on to write. Tune your ears, verse 2. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Write down teachable attitude. God, I want you to speak to me. I want to I, I, I hear you. God, I've got so many questions. I'm searching. And I want to find you. I'm wrestling God, I want, to, I want to open your word. I want to hear your wisdom. We know that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And so, God, man, listen, I'm, a, I'm your student. Teach me, Lord. I, I'm listening. Verse 3 says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Write out passionate prayer. When's the last time you spent time in the closet, time alone with the Lord? Not praying with a group of people, which is important. When's the last time you spent that quality time, you, you and the Lord talking to him? Man, it could be laying in the bed early in the morning before anybody else ever gets up. It may be in a closet someplace. It may be on the ride to work. Passionate prayer. God, I'm desperate to hear your voice. I, that's not a canned thing. It's not a religious thing. But God, I, I, I want to I hear you. I want to know you. I want to learn to trust you more. Verse 4, he says, If we search after them as you would for silver, seek for them like hidden treasures, write out their first priority. If we search for them as you would for silver, seek for them like hidden treasures. Look at what he says. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God Circle gain right out beside that discover. This is what Solomon was saying. When you make God a priority in your life, you'll gain understanding. You'll gain knowledge of who he is. You say, but I don't have the time. I have no time. You don't understand. My See, you're not living in the real world. Oh, yeah. I am. 
I'm living in the real world. I know what it's like. But you just don't understand. Yes, I do. It's about priorities, though, isn't it? I mean, see, if I were to tell you today, I've got $5 million. I got $5 million that I've buried in the back of your yard, and you got 24 hours to find it. America's Got Talent may not be the most important thing this afternoon. <laughs> Getting that afternoon nap may not be that important. Small group may not be that important. I'm going to tell you what you do. You go down to Ace Hardware, Lowe's, or, or Home Depot, and you'd buy yourself a, self, a set of lights just in case that you didn't find it before dark because you'd want to make sure that you had plenty of time and plenty of light to be able to be digging in the backyard because you'd do everything you could to try to find that money. Because I know you. You can bury some in my yard if you want to. It'll be all right. But I know you. But are we searching for him as a treasure? But I go back to our first question today that we started out with. What is it that comes to your mind when you think about God? Because this is what Tozer had to say. He said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is truly the most important thing about us. But the problem is, because of our sinfulness and our humanity, it's so easy for our view of God to be distorted. My prayer is that we'd seek after him and experience the promise of God that he says if we seek him, we'll find him.
made this statement. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Never be afraid to trust an, own, an unknown future to a known God. My prayer for all of us, including myself, is as we walk through this over the next several weeks, that we would come to know our Heavenly Father better and understand the depths of his love and how far he went to rescue us from sin. The bondage of sin and slavery. And there's so much more. It's not about the religious exercises, people. But it's about coming to know him, the real God, personally. We have a privilege today of witnessing the baptizing of Peyton. But before, while his family comes, would you watch this video clip? Peyton. Your name is Peyton? Mm -hmm. How do you spell? P-E-Y-T-O-N. Nice. Fa, I mean six. Snakes, well, yeah, lizards, cats also, play Wii, actually ride bikes. Um, my dad and my mom and Pastor Sydney um, saved me by dying on the cross. John 3, 16. Let's go. Um, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, it's easier to follow Jesus now. That's a big deal. Peyton came to me the other day. I was sitting in the chair of the after service, and he comes to me, and he says, uh, Pastor Sid, I want to be baptized. And I said, well, that's good. I said, why? He said, because I have asked Jesus into my heart. Isn't that awesome? Justin, anything you want to say as a dad or Tina as a mom that you want to say? to Peyton today? I think we're just ecstatic that each and one of our kids have chosen this path. And that's an influence from you guys as parents. Tina, anything? Just proud of him. Yeah. So Peyton, let me ask you one more time. Are you ready to get baptized? Yes. You are? Wow. All right, come on, buddy. Let's go back here. Oh, I bet it's going to be. Oh, man, that's warm. <laughs> man, I was scared for you. Here, come on. And sit down. Sit down there. There you go. Sit right on down. Scooch up just a little bit. All right, buddy, let me ask you a question. Dad's got the privilege of, of baptizing you today. We're so excited. But listen, have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And listen, based upon that decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, we're excited today to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and pray and raised to walk in the newness of life. Let me just ask all of us as we close out, have you made the most important decision of your life? See, knowing God begins with that initial step of saying, Jesus, I want to trust you. And if you've never made that decision to trust Jesus, could it even be today that you make that decision?
See, there's some of you that have made decisions to follow Jesus, but you've never participated in a public display of affirmation of your faith. And if you've never done that, what is it that keeps you from being baptized to say to the world, I want you to know where my allegiance stand, and it's with Jesus. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we would recognize our citizenship and where it lies, that we are citizens of your kingdom, living under your domain. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we would be your ambassadors. Fathers, that others would be attracted to the greatness of God because they see something different within our lives. Jesus, I ask that as we walk through this time over the next several weeks that we would come to know you better. And just like it was years ago being in that room with Cecil, Sid, I, I hear you. I hear you. I know you're in the room because I know your voice. May we come to know you in such a way that when you speak, we know who's speaking because we know the real God. For the person that doesn't know Christ today, even today, would you be willing to come at the end of our service and say, would you tell me more about him? In Christ's name we pray, amen.